Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. There is nothing relative about the Word of God. It is filled with timeless, unchanging, absolute truths. Sometimes it is this very inflexibility in scriptural statements that makes individuals uncomfortable with or even hostile to the Bible's message. We prefer to have gray areas in our thinking, lots of room for opinion and debate, endless options to our problems that we can explore. Not so with God. You see, there are some things in the Word of God that are absolute impossibilities, even in relation to God. Did you know that there are some things that God cannot do? Yes, that's right. The Bible tells us that God cannot lie. It is impossible for Him to tell a falsehood. He also can never change. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. In today's broadcast, speaker Marvin Dirksen looks at some of the impossible certainties we read in the Bible relating to us. Some of these impossibilities are difficult for us to accept, like the impossibility of ever saving ourselves, of ever making ourselves any better in the sight of God. However, other impossibilities are wonderfully comforting, like the fact that God will never, no never, turn away anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith. It's impossible. Let's listen as Mr. Dirksen explains for us some of these impossibilities as he brings to us the good news of the gospel. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd like to read in the book of Romans and chapter 3. That's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. And I'd like to look at a very small, simple phrase, but to me it has great significance. Romans chapter 3. Now, Paul is writing to Christians that were living in Rome at the time, that large city in Italy. You'll notice in verse number one of Romans three, he's speaking to the Jew. He says, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? And so he's going to compare the Jew, which is God's earthly people, with the rest of us who are Gentiles. We are not part of God's earthly people, but we make up the vast majority of this world. Now, just drop down to verse number nine. Paul is saying, what then are we better than they? Comparing Jew and Gentile and so on. Now here's a little phrase I'm going to look at tonight. Paul says, no in no wise. All right? If I could just paraphrase that so we could understand it, what Paul is saying is absolutely not. No way. Absolutely not. We are not better than they. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. Notice, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Doesn't leave too much hope for any of us, does it? (laughs) This is a sweeping statement. There is none that doeth good, no, not even one. I just dropped down to verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory 
a God. Now just go back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Chapter 13, and we'll look at verse number 10. And then he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could, here's the phrase again, in no wise lift up herself. Okay? Could she lift up herself? Absolutely not. That's the idea there. It was impossible for her to make herself straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So verse 11 says, She was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Now back to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6 and verse number 37. The Lord Jesus is speaking, and he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There it is again. I will absolutely not cast them out. I will absolutely not turn them aside. I will never say no to them. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now, one last verse in the last book of our Bible, Revelation chapter 21, and verse number 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it, that will be into heaven, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There shall absolutely not enter into heaven anything that is marked by sin, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'd like to speak tonight of some of the, could I say, the impossibilities that we are dealing with. Sometimes when people look at the truth of God, they say, well, God can do anything. And he is omnipotent, and that means he is all-powerful. But let me ask you a question. Is God able to do anything and everything? Think about it. Is God able to do anything that he wants, everything? that comes into his mind. Well, when we look at the truth of God, the God that has made us and the God that we are dealing with tonight, we have to understand that there are some things God cannot do. You say, what is that? We find that it's impossible for God to lie. That's what Titus chapter 1 tells us. God who cannot lie. Now, lying is a great possibility with all of us, or at least most of us anyway. It's so easy to just kind of change the truth a little bit to alter the story, to maybe not mention things that are vital. Maybe describing an accident scene, you will only tell those things that will kind of make it favorable for you. And maybe some things that are vital you might not even mention. That's distorting truth, and I think you'd have to call that lying. But the God that we are dealing with tonight, and the God whose word we have read, it tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. He always tells the truth. Why, that's wonderful, isn't it? Because when someone always tells the truth, you can count on his word. You don't have to wonder, well, that's what he said today, but I wonder, will it be the same tomorrow? Or will he change the story? No, God cannot lie. And yet, despite the fact that it's very wonderful, could I tell you tonight, it's sobering? Because most of the time, when things go against us, we are hoping that, something will be able to change, that we can get someone to change their mind, someone to change their verdict, someone to change their story, just so that we're let off. But God will never change his words. In fact, there's something else about God that goes along with this. 
God himself will never change. He is the unchanging God. I've met people, and I'm sure you have as well, and sometimes we have to say after we've talked to the person, my, he has really changed. Boy, I can't believe it. She has really, really changed. Sometimes it's for the better, and sometimes it's for the worse. Sometimes when some of our friends get into wrong company, they change. Sometimes when a person comes to a crisis, they change. But you know tonight that we're dealing with a God who will never change? I am the Lord, I change not, he could say. His character is unchanging. What you see above you, over my head, is absolutely true. God is love. We preach that, we believe it, and we've experienced it in salvation. We could say tonight, God is holy. He's not going to change that. God hates sin. God is merciful. God is gracious. All the character traits of our God are unchanging. And that's why he's a God that's worth knowing. He's a God that is not one thing one day and one thing another day. We can count on the trustworthiness and the character of our God. And he's the very one that desires that you might come to know him. Of course, he can't die. He's the eternal God. It was impossible for the grave to hold the Lord Jesus. That's Acts chapter 2 tells us that. It was impossible that he should be holding of it, it says. And so God raised up his son upon that first day of the week, three days after he had been crucified, three days after he died. It was impossible, impossible for the grave to hold him. And that's why tonight we are preaching about a living Christ, a living Savior. He's interested in you. And friend, tonight, he desires that you might face these impossible certainties that apply to each one of us. Now, there are some things that are impossible for us, and I want to speak of them. But having said that, we're living in a world, in an age, in which there is a message that's being taught very clearly that we can do anything that we set our mind to. Now, I appreciate good effort. I appreciate stamina. I appreciate a person who, despite the odds, despite the difficulties, they plow ahead. And as I think of some of our friends who have come from different countries to try and learn our English language, I appreciate your courage. English is not an easy language to learn. But there are friends of ours who have come from many parts of this world and with grit, with courage, with work, with effort, with sometimes with headaches and whatever the case, they are determined to succeed. I congratulate you. But you know, the philosophy that we can do anything that we set our mind to, it might be good as far as life is concerned, but we need to face the fact that there are some things that we cannot do. In fact, we have read of four things, four things that apply to us that are spiritual impossibilities. Now, you might hear a different message, and you might be told that, you know, you can make yourself fit for heaven, and you can do enough to merit favor with God. But we have read tonight from Romans chapter 3 about the fact that it is impossible to ever reach God's standards or to change God's verdict. A verdict, of course, is what happens in a court of law. As the evidence is looked at, then a verdict is given, guilty or not guilty. And we have read some of the evidence as to how we appear in God's sight. Now, Humanly speaking, we look on the outside. We're living alongside of neighbors. We have friends, people and workmates and so on, associates in the city. And we evaluate their lives from the outside. And we say, you know, my neighbor, he, he is really a nice man. 
He and his wife, they're super. You couldn't want a nicer neighbor. You couldn't want a nicer workmate. My employer, my, he's fair. He's very, very considerate. He works awfully hard just to make life easier for us. We look at the exterior on the outside, but when it comes to God, God looks on the inside. God sees all the evidence. God knows our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, our wills. He listens to everything we say. And Romans chapter 3 is God's x-ray as to how he views us. And so Paul is saying, uh, there's Jews over there and there's Gentiles over here. Which one's better? Are we better than they? Are we better than they over there? Paul says, in no wise, because we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. You know what God's verdict is for you and for me? God says every single individual is guilty. Guilty of what? Guilty of not measuring up. Guilty of breaking God's law. Guilty of not measuring up to the standard. And for an awful lot of people, that is the bitter pill to swallow. And yet as God opens up the x-ray and he holds it up, you know what he says? They are all gone astray. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We were having meetings and there was a grandmother, and I can call her a grandmother, she was about 90 years of age, brilliant white hair, the sweetest thing in shoe leather, just a very, very sweet woman. But she didn't like the preaching. Upright, moral. She'd gone to church all her life. She had baked for the charity. She had been very kind and, and very faithful to her family and to the neighbors around. And when we read Romans chapter 3, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. She said to her granddaughter who was bringing her night after night, she says, I don't like that word. No, not one. Because she thought, she thought there was something good in her as far as God was concerned. She didn't get the message. She wasn't willing to accept God's verdict. And tonight, God wants you to face this tremendous fact that every single one of us have broken God's law. If you want to have more evidence, just keep on going. And you'll come to a person's mouth. You'll come to their words. And as you listen to people's words, yes, sometimes there's very crude words and very rough words, very blasphemous words that come out of people's mouths, cursing and bitterness. And when circumstances are just right, we begin to accuse God of not being fair. We begin to accuse others of not being righteous with regard to us, ourselves. And as God weighs all the evidence, he comes to the, the only verdict. We are guilty, guilty of breaking God's law. We rented a, an upstairs room in the town of Gander back in 1982. The work was just, wasn't starting then, but... Uh, Living rooms were just getting too small, and so we said, we've got to rent a room just to have more room to operate. The room we rented was maybe about the size of this, uh, this auditorium, maybe a little bit larger. But very interestingly, it was the old courtroom, the old courthouse in Gander, way up a long flight of stairs. And you walked in, and when we looked at this building to, to rent it, I was quite surprised when we walked in because there was only one article in that room, and that was the, the big black witness stand pipe where... Individuals who were accused of crimes would have to stand there, and uh, I noticed when I looked down that the, the carpet was well-worn where they had to stand. There was a piece of carpet that was cut out where the judge's bench was, 
But I remember walking in that room to have a look at it, and I walked over to the witness stand, and I put my hand on that pipe. It was just a big black pipe. And I thought to myself, I wonder, how would it feel to stand here? You know what concerned me more than that? As a young university student, I stood before the justice of God. And I had to face the fact that I was not ready to meet God the way I was because I had sinned. And there came a moment when I had to acknowledge, I am guilty. And I had to realize that God's verdict of me was absolutely honest, true, and righteous. Have you ever faced God's verdict? We have read in Luke chapter 13 about an actual event that took place in the life of the Lord Jesus. He was walking through the land, and he saw a woman. I think this is kind of the way it describes her. She was bent right over, and she would have to go through life like this, looking at you from the kind of from the side. And if she was going to look up at the stars, she'd have to go like this. She was all bent over, and the Bible says she could in no wise lift up herself. But do you think she tried? Undoubtedly. It was impossible impossible for her to make herself straight. And Luke 13 tells us she could in no wise lift up herself. You know, that's a little picture of every one of us as far as God is concerned. Now, most of us walked in fairly straight tonight. Some of us are a bit older. We kind of, you know, maybe walk in with a bit of a limp or a little slower, but, but most of us are pretty upright. That's good. But you know, spiritually speaking, you know what sin has done to us? It has bent us right over spiritually speaking. And what I want you to notice from Luke chapter 13 is that it is impossible, impossible for any individual to change their condition as far as God is concerned. Sin has marked us. Sin has bent us. Sin has marred us. And there's not a person here tonight, regardless of who you are, and there are individuals and I've never met you, and so we're very thankful to see you tonight. I don't know about your past, and I don't know about your effort, but I do know this. There is not one individual, starting with the speaker, that is able to change their natural condition, able to remove one of their sins, humanly speaking, by themselves. Sin has bent us, and sin has marked us. What we are, what we've done, it's impossible, impossible to improve our condition, humanly speaking, as far as God is concerned. You can live the best way you can. You can go to church all your life. You can say the Lord's Prayer twice a day. You can take the bread and wine as often as you can. My friend, all of those things are good, but all of those things will never take away one sin. Our sin is serious. Our sin is deadly. And this dear woman and every single one of us, we cannot by ourselves make ourselves straight. As far as God is concerned, she could in no wise lift up herself. But I've got good news for you tonight. We've read in John chapter 6 about one of the impossibilities that are found in the Bible concerning us. The Lord Jesus said, the person that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I will never turn them aside. And as we watch in the scriptures, we find there's a variety of people that came to the Lord Jesus. And as we've watched these meetings happen, there have been a variety of individuals that have been hearing about the love of God and about the grace of God. Thank God there have been those that have come, not only here but elsewhere. We've heard a blessing of the gospel in other places. It all comes down to this wonderful truth that the person who comes to Christ, he is promised, I will in no wise turn them aside. Now you say, that's hope. Yes, friend, that is hope. That's what salvation is all about. 
that there is a God who is inviting you to come to the Savior for salvation. You know what I appreciate about this verse? Is that this is heaven's desire, this is heaven's welcome. I think of Nicodemus, a very religious man. He came one night. John chapter 3 tells of the moment when he, he knocked at the door where the Lord Jesus was. And he came in for a conversation. And he came to understand that there was a tremendous need in his life. He needed to be born again. And yet he heard the words of wonderful truth. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For God so loved the world of people that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever takes us all in, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The very next chapter, there's a woman. She comes to the Lord Jesus. Oh, her past is not very, very commendable. There's a longing, there's an emptiness in her soul. She longs for satisfaction. She came, and the Lord received her right through the scriptures and right across the, the ages of time. There have been individuals that have come, and the promise is this, that the person who comes to Christ, he will absolutely not turn them aside. What does that mean? Simply means this, that if a young person comes, he will not say to them, um, sorry, you're just too young. Come back when you're a teenager. He won't say that. And if you're older tonight, he'll not say, glad you came, but you know, really, you should have come 30 years ago. I'm sorry. No salvation for you. Or if someone comes to the Lord Jesus, he will not say to them, uh, hmm, you haven't lived a very good life. You haven't measured up. I'm so sorry. There's no salvation for you. No, no, no. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Isn't that wonderful? It's an absolute impossibility for the Lord Jesus Christ to turn anyone away. No matter what your sin or your condition, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can depend on this wonderful impossibility. He or she that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, the Savior said. Have you ever acknowledged your sin and come to Christ for salvation? Remember, it is impossible to get to heaven any other way. But what assurance it is to know that you will be received if you come, just as you are. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>